So the fourth right effort. The effort to, or the uh, generation of desire towards maintaining wholesome states that have arisen. When I first started thinking about this one, thinking about it, I thought, this doesn't make any sense. Why would you have to make effort to maintain wholesome states that have arisen? Why would that be something you'd have to think about or work on or generate desire towards? Wouldn't that just be what you do? Wouldn't that just be, of course, um, two sides to this, I think. First is that as I began looking in my own, um, my own experience, I saw that uh, surprisingly, sometimes when wholesome states arose, things like calm or delight or joy, it actually, there were, there were things, other things going on in my mind that were kind of, you know, undermining them or um, making me not value them. So at one point on um, a long retreat, on a three-month retreat, I, I, I kind of landed in this place of real calm. I'd been working a lot with dukkha, a lot of pain in the body, and um, the mind had come to a little bit of balance, a little bit of equanimity and some calm. And as soon as I experienced that, the next thing the mind did was like, oh, calm, that's nice. Now's the perfect time to look at that pain in my back. You know, not, not, it is actually, I mean, that's not a bad thing to, to, to explore when there's a state of calm, but what I didn't really recognize was the calm itself. Didn't really land with it and acknowledge the value of it in its own right. To appreciate the value of those wholesome states in and of themselves, not as something that we could do something with. I think that's partly how I saw it. It's like, oh, calm, I can do something with this. As opposed to, calm feels like this. Wow, that's a different experience. Because sometimes we underappreciate these wholesome qualities. So I think one of the most effective ways to cultivate wholesome states that have arisen is to be mindful of them, to recognize that they're happening, clearly recognize they're happening and take it in. This is the experience of happiness or patience or joy or equanimity. So mindfulness of wholesome states is one of the most powerful ways to encourage their continuance, encourage them to continue, and encourage them to arise more in the future. Mindfulness has this wonderful property, this amazing property. I mentioned this a little bit the other day about how in practicing mindfulness, we simultaneously, uh, it simultaneously cultivates the conditions for letting go of the unwholesome and cultivating the wholesome. So why does this happen? My sense of it is kind of what we've been pointing to, this very natural or I think Gil even called it a kind of a biological urge or a biological movement towards freedom. There's a 
a very natural movement of heart and mind towards well-being. And when we explore open to the unskillful states, the reactive states with, mind, with mindfulness, we see the suffering of that. We see the constriction of that. Our heart understands the unskillfulness of it just directly in the experience itself. We recognize anger is not helpful for well-being for this organism. And when we bring mindfulness to wholesome qualities of mind, our, our whole system goes, yes, this is the way to well-being. The, the, the qualities of the wholesome qualities very directly are felt as the movement towards well-being. And so this is why mindfulness supports maintaining the wholesome states when they have arisen. And so recognizing when these beautiful states are arising, when these wholesome qualities are arising. For myself, I found it useful actually to, um, you know, the Buddha has a lot of lists, a lot of lists of qualities of mind and practices. And there's several of these lists that are basically lists of wholesome states of mind. And I found it useful to memorize these lists to help me kind of explore what wholesome states are. I did this with both reactive emotions and wholesome emotions, actually, at one point um, in working with uh, kind of getting to know my, my emotions in general. Um, I remember, I remember one time where I had to be asked three times in three different ways. And what is that feeling? What is the emotion? <laughs> and, and it's like, I couldn't even hear the question. The mind was just not, doesn't, didn't tend to relate to experience uh, through the language of emotion very well. And so um, uh, my teacher, Gil, uh, suggested that I create a list of emotions so that I could begin to kind of check my experience out with emotions and get familiar with, with the emotions. And so at first I did this very much with reactive states, you know, went to the dictionary and first I started writing the ones down that I did know, like anger, irritation, impatience, frustration. Then I went to the uh, dictionary and the thesaurus and I got some more. So I had this good long list of, of emotions and, and I could use it to help me kind of uh, begin to learn what my emotional states were. And then as I began, um, connecting more with the, the teachings of the Buddha and uh, a lot of those reactive motions began to fall away or, or not so operative as much of the time anymore. Um, the wholesome qualities began to be more um, apparent. And yet again, I wasn't, it's not quite so clear. What's this? Is this calm? Calm? Is this calm? And so having these lists can be helpful. So I'm going to just name some of these wholesome qualities right now. The four Brahmaviharas, love, compassion, joy, and equanimity. The five faculties, qualities that bring the mind together to attend to experience, how Sayadaw Utejaniya talks about it. Confidence or faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. The seven factors of awakening. There's going to be some repetition here. So maybe some of those are the ones we really should check out. So the seven factors of awakening. Mindfulness investigation, 
could also say interest or curiosity there as a flavor of investigation or a flavor of a quality of mind that's connected to that. So curiosity, interest, energy, rapture, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. And the 10 perfections, the 10 paramis, qualities that the mythology of the Buddha uh, says that the Buddha spent lifetimes perfecting these qualities before he became the Buddha. And these are generosity, virtue, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, determination, love, and equanimity. You see that the Brahma-viharas make a visit in many of these lists. I like that kind of theme going through these beautiful qualities the Buddha highlights. And so the other last night I, I kind of offered this practice of reflection at the end of a day where um, you might think back on your day and reflect on what beautiful qualities had been cultivated that day. And at the end of my day, I would use these lists. I would go through these lists. Patience. Any patience today? Oh yeah, patience today. So having these um, beautiful qualities to reflect on can support, support us to begin to recognize them. Certainly for me, it was helpful to begin to recognize them, having these, these um, lists to support me in recognizing them. And as we start to recognize wholesome states, there is the tendency at times to cling to them. They feel good. They give us a kind of a, a signal at times that we're heading in a direction that's helpful. And uh, our habit of mind, our habit of clinging to things, of um, wanting to hold on to things that are pleasant, get rid of things that are unpleasant, these movements of greed and aversion, so deeply embedded in our, in our minds. And we can pretty much cling to anything. So it is useful to know this. I mean, we see this. We see this sometimes. Um, we feel the suffering at times of, of clinging to the wholesome. Often, often what we are clinging to, though, um, is more the idea of the wholesome. Or the idea of having that thing, so, or having that state of mind again. We might have an experience of just real settledness and peace and then suffer for the rest of the day trying to get it back. It's that, that's more clinging to the idea of the wholesome state. Some teachers say that when a wholesome state is arising, there probably won't be clinging in that moment. I'm not so sure about that. I think in terms of the way that we experience things, um, you know, what the experience is, um, it can it can it can feel like there's there can be a kind of simultaneous 
um, real delight and a little bit of leaning into it. Yeah. Oh, my, I hope this continues. So there can be, um, you know, some subtle, there can be some clinging in the, in the experiential side of uh, the wholesome states. And, and actually in the suttas, it mentions this, it talks about the possibility of um, um, a, a kind of clinging to jhanic states, to co- very deep concentration states, that, that we can cling to those within the state itself. Um, so the suttas mention this possibility. So to me, it's like, let's, let's just keep an eye out for clinging. If, um, and yet what I, I like to also point to around clinging with wholesome states is don't assume there's clinging with wholesome states either. The generating the desire to maintain wholesome states is not the same as greed. As Gil's been pointing to in his reflections on desire, you know, there are desires that are wholesome that move us in the direction of freedom, aspiration. And so there are desires, there is a movement in the direction, a movement towards the wholesome that doesn't have to be greed. And yet there may be some greed in there. So it's, it's useful to um, kind of be curious about, is there clinging? But I like to encourage a very uh, light exploration of this because, you know, again, we can assume or misinterpret a kind of a, a wholesome aspiration or a wholesome kind of desire towards those skillful states. We can misinterpret that as, as, as greed, as clinging, and might think, oh, I shouldn't go there. It's not helpful to push away wholesome states because we think we might be clinging to them. So one thing I suggest is to let suffering be a kind of guide around this because when we cling to something, it does create a kind of attention or a contraction sometimes more so, sometimes less. And so the kind of contraction we experience, the kind of suffering we experience when we're trying to get back to a kind of sitting that we had earlier in the day, that's pretty obvious suffering. We can see in that experience how we're like trying to get something that's not actually here. We're leaning towards something. We're wanting something. So the, the, the suffering around that is very obvious. And so there may be some clinging with wholesome states. But if it's not being experienced as suffering in the moment, just kind of hold it lightly. Yeah, there might be some clinging here. But that's not what's being experienced. Right now what's being experienced is the delight and the appreciation for the wholesome state. So for myself, this kind of exploration was really um, supportive around the wholesome quality of investigation and interest and curiosity. I could see that um, there was some kind of, uh, you know, I, I could see that there was a little bit of kind of, oh yeah, I'm a good investigator or I can do this. There's a little bit of that. I can do this kind of feeling to it. So it seemed like there might be some clinging in there along with that interest and that curiosity. And yet that capacity to investigate and be interested in my experience when it was self-hatred, you know, the clinging, the little bit of clinging and a little bit of identification around curiosity was so minimal so much less um, um, clinging than the clinging of the self-hatred. 
that the, you know, that that wasn't being experienced as suffering. It was, it was experienced as this is helpful. This is supportive. And so if I had been kind of orienting to, oh, there's clinging to that. There's some selfing around that interest. I better not do that interest, better not investigate. Then the self-hatred just screams in rage and it just gets worse. And so this is kind of, kind of a staged um, way that we begin to let go of the clinging to some things. As the reactive states got so much less um, predominant in my experience, at a certain point, the clinging and the selfing around investigation became very obvious and became painful. That to me was the time to begin to really work with that clinging around that wholesome state. Not to give up the wholesome state, but to look at how that clinging was influencing and affecting things. So clinging to wholesome states will happen. And yet, you know, it will, it will show itself to you. If you are interested in exploring and understanding the suffering in your experience, the clinging to wholesome states will show itself to you when it's time for that to be investigated and released. And so this, you know, this points to, to some extent, the fact that we can cling to wholesome states begins to point to the, the, the Brahma Vihara that's also associated here in the talk tonight, the equanimity. Equanimity in relationship to wholesome states. So equanimity is, it's a, it's a quality of mind that allows us to be at balance, in balance with whatever's happening. In balance with our own experience. In balance around our relationship in the Brahma-Vihara realm. The Brahma-Viharas are very much um, spoken of in terms of relationship. Relationship to, we could talk about it in terms of relationship to our experience, but also relationship to other people. And in terms of relationship to other people, the balance around equanimity, we have equanimity in relationship to other people. It's, um, th there's a, a classic reflection that's associated with equanimity in regard to other people. And paraphrased, it's something like, your happiness and unhappiness depend upon your choices and actions, not upon my wishes for you. That other people have to make their own choices in their lives. We cannot make their choices for them. We can love them and care for them, support them, offer them our love and um, support and we cannot make their choices for them. And so this is balance of mind, balance in relationship to, uh, in, in terms of our relationships. But today, mostly I'm going to speak about equanimity in terms of our uh, relationship with our own experience. And so this um, quality of Balance of mind, no matter what's happening in our experience, a state where we can be responsive, skillfully responsive to what's arising rather than habitually reactive, automatically reacting to what's happening. And so some space that lets the mind respond skillfully rather than react. So some other words related to uh, equanimity that, you know, equanimity is not a very common term in our language. Um, I don't think I used it much before I came to this practice. But some other words, um, non-reactivity, 
So not being reactive, whatever, wherever, wherever the experience is pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Again, that balance of mind, a kind of um, spaciousness, ease with what's happening, peace, non-conflict, impartiality, acceptance. And so with the wholesome states, equanimity creates the conditions for the mind to accept the wholesome state without needing it to continue, without needing, without having a kind of a grasping after a fear of losing it or grasping after wanting more of it. And so equanimity gives us this appreciation in conjunction with the balance that understanding these wholesome states are conditioned and will come and go. So some things that equanimity is not some things that similar, seem similar perhaps, um, indifference, in these, these, these terms, non-conflict, um, impartiality, um, might seem like, you know, like a whatever. It's a phrase my, my nieces and nephews used a lot when I said something that they didn't like. You know, whatever with the roll of the eyes. And that's a flavor of this kind of um, indifference or apathy, you know, the, it's, 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 it's what's called the near enemy of, of equanimity, something that seems kind of similar, but isn't the quality. One friend of mine um, had a beautiful expression around this, having come to a, a recognition in her own experience of a difference between this kind of, of apathy or this kind of, um, a little bit of like dismissiveness around something like that, whatever, or yeah, I don't care anyway, that kind of, uh, mind. She said, you know, it's not, I don't care. Equanimity is, I don't mind this. I don't mind this. We do care. Caring, those first three Brahma-viharas are all about caring. We care deeply. And we don't mind, we don't have a, a reactivity around whether there's joy or sorrow. I think of equanimity as really being the quality that allows the flowering of the first three, of the caring. It allows love and compassion to really connect without being overwhelmed by pity or just drowning in the suffering. It allows the connection with joy without slipping into a kind of a, oh yeah, everything's great because we understand that, yeah, on the other side of the street, suffering may be happening, but it lets us take in the joy. It lets us take in the sorrow, hold them both. So equanimity to me really creates this deeply uh, grounded and uh, solid, stable place from which we really care about the world. Another thing that 
equanimity is not is passive. The word sometimes peace, the way we relate to that word, sometimes it's like, it's like, oh yeah, peace. That means I don't have to do anything or, or, uh, yeah, it means that no response is needed. Again, equanimity enjoined with the other Brahmaviharas can be very responsive to the world. Love, compassion, wisdom, want to act in the world. And equanimity supports that action by helping us realize that we don't necessarily have any have much control over the outcome of our of our actions a recognition that yes we act to support the well-being of others and we don't know we don't know how it will be received we don't know um, whether it will have a helpful outcome And so equanimity to me supports the action connected with the heart qualities of the Brahma Viharas. It supports us to not cling to any particular outcome. Equanimity itself is a wholesome quality. And so we, in the kind of way of um, connecting to these third and fourth wise efforts, we want to cultivate equanimity. We want to find ways to support equanimity. We want to find ways to maintain it when it has arisen. The practice of mindfulness, the practice of the practice of wise mindfulness, of right mindfulness, is a practice of this non-reactive, non-judgmental meeting of our experience. It is a practice that supports the cultivation of equanimity. The practice of mindfulness really is an equanimity practice. Now we may not have equanimity all the time in our practice, but the, the aim or the direction in the practice is to move in this direction of non-reactive, non-judgmental meeting of experience. So this intention, this movement towards our mindfulness practice is generating that desire towards the cultivation of equanimity and towards the cultivation of mindfulness, another wholesome quality. And so equanimity is cultivated as we practice mindfulness. And we can see at times that the mind isn't quite able to meet experience with balance. So sometimes it can be helpful. You know, wisdom, you know, wisdom is a support for equanimity. When we understand, when we deeply understand um, the nature of our experience, when we deeply understand the impermanent, unreliable nature of everything that's coming and going in our experience, the mind naturally begins to not cling. It understands there's nothing to cling to. That clinging to the impermanent, as somebody uh, said, is like rope burn. You're trying to hold on to something that's slipping through your grasp. The suffering of that is creating rope burn. 
And so the when, as we begin to see our experience more directly, very naturally, our, uh, our mind begins to gain the wisdom that supports this movement to equanimity, to gain the understanding, to understand, yes, this is impermanent. There's nothing to cling to here. Clinging to this would be suffering. And so the mind begins to not react, to be able to hold what's happening with more ease. And yet there are times, definitely, when when we are in the process of cultivating that wisdom. We don't have that wisdom yet. So it helps us. At those times, we can... Sometimes we can just almost remind ourselves of the perspective of wisdom. Remind ourselves, yes, this is impermanent. At one point, another story about a wholesome state for myself that it was kind of like one of those that really made me see, wow, you know, I don't really like naturally maintain wholesome states. I sometimes even resist wholesome states. At one point I was sitting at my, um, my table and I was just practicing. I'd probably ended a retreat a few days before. I don't remember exactly what was going on, but I was sitting at my table having some food and, and just eating. And, and it just started experiencing these waves of joy, really intense waves of joy. And my, my whole system was like, whoa, this is intense. Like, whoa, this is too strong. And it was kind of like, I was trying to bottle it up. It's like, no, I don't want this. This is too much. It's overwhelming. An example of, you know, a wholesome state that was being kind of, no, I can't deal with this. Unfortunately, in that moment, a little bit of wisdom passed my mind. It's okay. It's impermanent. And so with that recognition of, okay, well, this joy, it's pretty intense, but it's not going to last forever. Something let go and... I could just sit there and feel these huge waves of, of joy going through. And it didn't last for long, actually. That really opening and allowing, let it kind of just, it almost was like a big wave breaking, a huge wave. And then it was more like happiness, a peaceful happiness on the other side. So sometimes wisdom reflection, sometimes they'll arise spontaneously like that one in, in my mind. That one kind of arose spontaneously. Oh, it's okay. This is impermanent. This is impermanent. And sometimes we, we can bring them to mind to help create a container of balance in the mind. It's like the sometimes these wisdom reflections can, if we're not quite able to meet something that's challenging, sometimes a little reminder some wisdom reminders can give us a little space, create a little bit of balance that gives us more room to meet the experience. And so even just reflections, using thought skillfully in the practice. Sometimes these thoughts arise spontaneously. And, you know, if I had just done a noting, oh, noting a thought that, this is impermanent, you know, it might not have had the effect. <laughs> so it, it was a useful thought in that moment. It was a skillful thought. So sometimes we, the th- we can use thought skillfully in our meditation. Just gentle reminders. This is, this is dukkha. A wisdom reminder that I found surprisingly, again, you know, sometimes arising spontaneously on one long retreat at in Burma at Shui Umin uh, with Saira Utejaniya, practicing in this new form that he was offering. Um, it was um, quite a different practice for me. I had experienced a lot of long retreats and it was a couple weeks into this retreat and my mind was experiencing a lot of reactivity. There was a lot of stuff going on, a lot of difficult reactive emotions arising. 
And some part of my mind was going, all right, this practice doesn't work very well because on most three-month retreats or long retreats that I do by this time, it's much quieter, it's pleasanter. And, uh, and yet fortunately, again, you know, this, with this different style of practice, this is kind of the way in, you know, it's got a, it's got a more, it feels a little bit more of a bumpy ride in a way is because you're not using a, a stilling of the mind to start. You're kind of going through your stuff to start. And so the, the, um, the thought that arose in my mind is I, I, was seeing all of this stuff is like, right. Yeah. This is just so much dukkha. And then, and then I heard that thought like in reflection, it's like, Oh, this is dukkha. All right. This is what the Buddha told us we should understand. Oh, dukkha. Okay. All right. I can meet this. It's dukkha. So that, reflection arose and was very supportive to create some space that allowed me to hold the difficulty. Created a little bit of a, of a container of equanimity around the experience. So this is dukkha. Another really supportive wisdom reflection that's helped in my own practice is uh, the reflection um, and this one came from Saira Utejaniya. Um, this is nature. And that maybe takes a little bit of unpacking. Um, but, you know, basically it's a, it's a reflection of whatever's arising in this moment is a kind of a result of the conditions of many, many things of the past, conditions that are happening now. So these, the, what's arising right now is the natural unfolding as a result of conditions. It's like a tree grows as a result of conditions. And so this is nature. It's kind of very succinct kind of framing of Right, what's happening right now? What's arising right now? This is what's growing right now. This tree, this bush is what's growing right now. This is what's happening. This is what the conditions have, have produced. Uh, of course, this is what's here. So sometimes it, for me, shifts to the of course wisdom. Sometimes it's, oh, this is nature. Just reminding myself that Whatever is happening here in this being is nature. Just like trees, just like weather, just like everything. Everything's nature. And so that reminder has been a great support for me to, again, have a little space. It's like, oh, right. This is just the natural unfolding of conditions. Can I be with this? So that's kind of one way in. And, and, and I often um, like to suggest for people, you know, that sometimes it's, it's useful to find if you, if there's certain wisdom that resonates for you and often, um, for me, the, the wisdom that resonates most is wisdom that I have understood directly. Something, sometimes when we understand something directly, it gets expressed. You know, it's like there's an understanding and then it kind of, that understanding bubbles up into our mind and expresses itself as a thought. So on one retreat around my self-hatred, observing the self-hatred at one point, there was the clear seeing of it just as an arising, as a thought arising in the mind that was being believed. And it was just a thought. And that's how the insight expressed itself. It's like the, the seeing happened. And it's like, oh, this is just a thought. It has no inherent reality. It's just a thought. 
And so that is the way that wisdom expressed itself in my mind. And for a while, the, that phrase, oh, right, this is just a thought. This is just an arising in the mind. That was very supportive. And it was very resonant because it was deeply connected to an actual experiential understanding that I had had. And so sometimes we can find our own language for these wisdoms that can support us to find our way to some balance and some equanimity as we're practicing mindfulness. And then another avenue for the cultivation of equanimity in our mindfulness practice is related for me to Saito Utejaniya's teaching around wise attitude. Wise attitude, he says, is essentially it's, it's wise attitude is what makes mindfulness right mindfulness or wise mindfulness. And so wise attitude is a way of being with experience that allows us to feel at ease with whatever's happening. So that's equanimity. Wise attitude is the flavor of equanimity. And so in our um, um, exploration of what's happening in our practice, Saito uh, Utejaniya speaks about recognizing the attitude in the mind. And so we can talk about this. We have actually spoken about this kind of indirectly. And I'll just speak about it more directly right now. That there's what's happening in our experience. There's physical sensation. There's thoughts arising. There's emotions arising. And then there's how we are with it. Our relationship to what's happening a pain arising in the knee and there's a liking or a not liking of it. There's an emotion arising and then there's a, a, a relationship to it. Fear arises and we don't like that fear. We're afraid of the fear. So the, uh, the relationship to experience or the how we are with experience, Saito Utejaniya points to as getting to know the attitude with which you are observing your experience. And so we're, we're, we have some relationship to experience all the time. And, and there's, you know, we could say there's four basic flavors of relationship to experience. There's the relationship of liking an experience and wanting more of it. That flavor of, you know, greed. There's a not liking the experience, wanting to get rid of it, wanting to separate from it. That's the aversive quality and many flavors in each of these. And they go from subtle to obvious. So there's the, the, the kind of greedy flavor, which might be as subtle as just a little leaning in to a full on, gotta have it. It's, I'm not going to be okay without it. And likewise with aversion, it might just be a little bit of like, yeah, would rather that's not here. And a full on hatred to a full on hatred. So there's a range of these, of these um, relationships. And then there's the, the relationship related to delusion, confusion, disconnection from experience. And also I would say a big um, part of the delusional relationship has to do with our views and beliefs and ideas about what's happening. Our agendas are, are, you know, it, it may not be felt as, as, um, wanting or not wanting, but it is, you know, there's a perspective that we're holding and not seeing. So views come into play in this, in this avenue of like, you know, even a view about meditation, like I need to stay with the breath in order to get concentrated in order to see things as they are, you know, that, that, that we have a belief around what needs to happen. That belief will inform how we engage. 
so the um, these these three um, you know the kind of greed aversion delusion kind of relationships to experience and then there's uh, the wise attitude balance of mind as our fourth kind of flavor of relationship to experience it's really important to check in from time to time how you are with experience because so much of our suffering happens when we are um, unaware of a relationship to experience when there's something going on and we're just following that kind of perspective of yeah I don't like this need to get rid of it and we're struggling and suffering and 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 when we actually stop and say, well, what's actually going on here? What's the relationship to this thing? Well, I don't like it. That's what's happening. Oh, okay. Well, maybe it can be there and I, and I don't like it. And that can be allowed too. Gil spoke about that movement either this morning or, or yesterday. That possibility of acknowledging a relationship that then can be a, allowed. And so the way Sayadaw Utejaniya speaks about this is that we find our way to wise attitude by getting really familiar with the unwise attitude. By not resisting the unwise attitude, but, but that step back and, oh, what's happening right now is I'm afraid of this thing. Oh, can I know that? <coughs> so this, uh, this exploration of, we could say in a way, it's um, you know, looking at what gets in the way of equanimity. That's one way to cultivate equanimity. That we open to and explore what's in the way of it. But at first we have to see what's in the way of it. And often that can be hidden. It's kind of behind the scenes. It's hidden behind the scenes. And so sometimes this little opening up or stepping back is like, what, how am I with this? And a, a good time, there's a couple good times to kind of do that check-in. How am I with this? One, if it feels like the meditation is a struggle, that's a really good time to check the how am I with this. It feels like it's really hard to be meditating. How am I with this? So, you know, many times, especially at the end of the day, people are really tired, really struggling. It's a lot of suffering to practice at night. And it's like, okay, can I check? Well, how am I with this being really tired? Maybe what's happening there is there's a belief I can't meditate when I'm really tired. Or I'm not supposed to be really tired when I'm meditating, so I have to get rid of this tiredness in order to be meditating. So if we can see these beliefs, saying, oh, well, that's what's happening. I'm believing this. Maybe that belief can be held a little more lightly, and it can just be, well, there's tiredness happening, and I'm believing it's a problem. Oh, that's pretty easy. Yeah, believing tiredness is a problem. That's what's happening right now. Maybe tiredness is okay. And so the stepping back and checking, what's the relationship? How am I with experience? Begins to reveal these like filters perhaps that have been unseen, have been kind of hidden from us. And then lets us see them, lets us recognize, oh yeah, that's happening too. And that also can be included. Everything can be included. Another really good time to check that relationship to experience, the how am I? So I said check when it feels like it's a struggle. Also check when it feels like it's going really well. And there's two good reasons for this. One is that potentially 
it might reveal a subtle clinging that's happening around when it feels like it's going well. So at one point I was in a very, uh, this was at, at Shui Yumin again, I was in a very like spacious, expansive, calm, clear state. And the, the reflection to check the relationship to the experience arose. And there was a very subtle, like wanting it to continue. It was so subtle. And then as that, you know, kind of weakened a little bit and, and oh, there was, and there was actually a trying to make it continue, just a little subtle leaning to it to try to make it continue. And then that kind of having, seeing that, trying that little bit of doing, it's like, oh, that's a little bit of like, you know, agitation in the mind that doing and that doing began to let go. And then there was the, the fear it wouldn't continue. <laughs> like, wow. And it was, there was just so much appreciation for seeing that there was this subtle clinging in the mind. It had not been clear to me at all. There'd been any clinging in that state until that question arose, how am I with this? And so there was this tremendous waves of delight, of appreciation and joy, the seeing of those, of that clinging. So that's one reason it can be useful that we might be able to see some very subtle kind of clinging and see the releasing of it. The other really helpful reason for checking what the relationship is when it feels like it's going well is it begins to, I'm going to loop back to the beginning of the talk here because it begins to help us see these wholesome states that are happening. You know, sometimes when it feels like it's going really well, it's just like, well, we're just seeing like very like, um, you know, the flow of like sound and body sensation. And we're not at all aware of the joy and the delight and the clarity of mind that's happening at the same time. So sometimes as we check into the relationship to experience when it's going well, we begin to taste the flavors of wise attitude. We, get, we, we begin to taste the flavor of so many wholesome qualities. Maybe that flavor is like equanimity, but there's many ways it can be felt. It, and, and many of those qualities I named earlier, you know, it can be felt as the Brahma Viharas, as a kind of a love and connectedness and care. It might be experienced as a joy and a delight or a curiosity and interest or as a deep, immeasurable patience. And so this checking in to, um, how am I with this experience when it feels like it's going well, can begin to give us the taste, help us to recognize and be mindful of these wholesome qualities, to maintain them through mindfulness. When they're not recognized, there's some cultivation going on, but the recognition of them can add a little bit of um, juice to that, maintaining those wholesome states. And as we land in this place of equanimity with mindfulness, this really is the place where understanding can grow. Where the wisdom that helps the mind let go of kind of more in that, that natural way of the gravitation towards well-being, the mind, mindfulness with equanimity, in my sense of it, is, is the condition that allows the natural movement towards well-being 
to unfold. It's not something we have to make happen. But the conditions allow it to happen. So let's just sit for a moment. 